Recorded live. Yeah, well, hi, everybody, and welcome to Runner's Digest at Tracksmith Athletic Club, day two of our Boston Marathon weekend here at 285 Newbury Street in the heart of Boston's Back Bay. Today was press day at the Boston Marathon, where we had a chance to talk to all the pro athletes for Monday's state 119th running of the Boston Marathon. I'm Tony Revis, today joined by Let's Run.com co-founder Robert Johnson and Let's Run staff writer Jonathan Galt. And boys, welcome to Tracksmith and Runner's Digest. And uh, we're here at the Tracksmith Athletics Club, where tonight at 6 p.m., the Tracksmith Women's Launch Party will get underway. Before that, we will go over what we learned here at the press conference today at the Boston Marathon. Uh, Robert and Jonathan, uh, what first comes to mind? Well, uh, I'm really glad to be here, Tony. That's, that's the first thing. It's been a long, long travel day. I'm missing two laptops. I have a back full of women's clothes, long story, but, uh, no, the, you know, it's a buzz. It's exciting to be in Boston every year. You know how it is. And, um, I mean, to, to me, there was nothing that I learned that, that really shocked me, but, uh, you know, I, I think after talking to the pros, you're, you're more excited now than you than I was 24 hours ago. Jonathan, do you have a chance? To, I'm one of those that says right off the top, we're streaming live on Metroid.com, and if you guys who are listening want to uh, join the conversation, once I know that Weldon Johnson is uh, has a thread started, so let's go onto the chat rooms on the, the message board. And if you have questions about what we might have heard or learned or talked to one of the athletes in today's press conference, just join that thread on Let'sRun.com. Uh, Jonathan, I, I for one, am not a big fan of the system that's in play here in Boston where they put all the athletes out in front of us for about an hour or so. There's no way we can talk to all of them. The room is very loud. And so, so many of the East African runners are soft speakers anyway, so it makes it very difficult to talk to them. So I generally go in the outer out room and try to talk to the managers and the agents and talk to the athletes. How about yourself? Yeah, I, I did my best to speak to as many athletes as I could. Uh, one of the people I did not get to speak to was Shalane Flanagan. Yeah, me um, either. She, she had a huge crowd, probably the biggest crowd in the main media room when we first started, so I figured I'd get it later. But... By the time I had made my rounds, she uh, headed out to fulfill some other ob- obligations. So uh, I didn't get to talk to her. But I did talk to a fair number of athletes, um, several of the top Americans. I talked to Jason Ritzenheim, Matt Hagenkamp, uh, Nick Ossiniaga, Jeff Hegelson. So, uh, you know, I think one of the things I noticed from them, uh, particularly from Ritz and Hay, who are two guys who haven't raced since uh, Chicago in October 2013, it was just it was clear how excited they were to be here. I think Ritz especially, you know, he's he's had some injury issues. He only raced once last year, but talking to him, it was very clear he was excited to have made it through a training schedule healthy and uh, running pretty well. And uh, you know, he just couldn't wait to be out, out on the start line out in Hopkinson on Monday. Yeah, when he's healthy, he usually runs fairly well. I mean, he doesn't he's so he he doesn't blow up in races. But he won a cross country race in Italy. He was a top finisher in a very muddy race at the Edinburgh cross-country race also in January over in Europe. Then he was third at the U.S. Nationals in cross-country back at his old stopping grounds at Boulder. But he said a lot of it had to do with the fact that it had been a long time since about six years had been back in Boulder. And he just assumed he would take right back to altitude like when he was living there. And it was a rude awakening, but he still got third place. And then he won uh, in Gasparilla, the half marathon, and then 
took, I think, a strong you know, 102.07 at the New York City half. So he's ready to roll based on all evidence. Yeah, it's kind of funny what Tom was saying. I mean, Tony, what you were saying about, uh, you know, the press event. I didn't even talk to – I don't think I talked to a single here. But, uh, you know, I'm sure the fans listening are most, most excited about Ritz and everything. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens with him, for sure. Yeah, I think he's a high upside guy. I think, you know, if he gets in the uh, top five, is not out of the question if he plays everything right. But, you know, speaking to him, he was a little cautious in his build-up, uh, and as he probably should have been during the injury issues he's been dealing with. But moving moving forward, I think if this one goes well, he's going to be, you know, starting to take a couple more risks in his training and his workouts, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens on that front going ahead for the Olympic trials. But the thing he told me, he told me uh, seemed most important was he's drawn on two Michigan guys who have really had some success here in the past, and that's uh, Jason Hartman, who is his high school teammate, and he got fourth in 2012 and 2013. And then, uh, you know, Greg Meyer, who was before Metropolitan last year, the last American to win the Boston Marathon. And Greg lives only about four miles away from Dayton in Michigan. So, you know, he's speaking to them. He's really you know, gotten with some advice on how to run the course. Uh, I think Hartman's advice to him was make sure you make it to the top of the hop, top of Heartbreak Hill feeling good um, because, you know, you've still got a lot of work to do after that. And there are some tough hills in the lead-up to it. So if you can get that feeling good, you'll probably be able to have a good race. And uh, Maya told him just don't, you know, don't forget about the speed work because uh, Ritz, you know, he's got 12.56, 5,000 speed. And, you know, not a lot of the guys in the field have that. So I think, you know, making sure he's still got some speed. He said he's on the indoor track doing some workouts. Uh, he thinks that will help him on the downhills on the course, and there are several on this Boston course. Yeah, one of the big problems with Boston, not just the downhills in terms of what it does to your quads, beating your quads up, but it's that eccentric contraction of muscles when you've lengthened your muscles on that downhill stride, and then you fire them, and that can cause real problems. So you have to be careful. The big hill on this course, not just that first kilometer out of pocket. But I always told, even when uh, Greg ran his first Boston back in, uh, I think it was 80, 80, 81, I believe it was, and even when Med ran his first Boston in 2006, I warned them both, guys, the biggest hill after the first downhill quarter mile is at 25K coming out of Wellesley that gets into Newton Lower Falls, 25 kilometers, and it's a big, serious downhill. Now, everyone feels good at 25K. And there's a tendency to push and press hard. Don't do it. That's where you want to hold your fire and save your running for the uphill section over 128, and then the Braeburn Hill, the New City Hall Hill, and finally Heartbreak Hill. So there's a lot of places on this course where experience play a big role in knowing how to race this course, a portion of your energy, is really the key to success. Yeah, I mean, Rich may be a Boston rookie, but he, you know, he's definitely got a lot of experience to rely on. He was, of course, you know, coached by Alberto Salazar for a long time. And last time I was in Boston, actually, two months ago in February, I was driving out to uh, my buddy Chris Lear, running the Buffalo office, house in Newton. And um, we saw a guy, you know, every, every you know, Tony used to live in Boston. On Sunday mornings, the, the roads are just packed, people training for Boston. And the snow was six feet high, so there wasn't a lot of run, you know, a lot of space to be running. And most of the runners, you know, were fairly slow. And then we saw this one guy coming out of the direction, and he, he looks pretty fast. And I'm like, oh my God, that's it. So we did we did a 180 in the car and, and turned around and you know so he's been on the course. You know he was smart to get out here, 
Um, you know, I'm sure he's left no stone untouched. So it may be his debut, but you know, I, I think he's probably you know better prepared than most people who are running for the first time. You know, it's obvious that with that victory last year and the way that race played out, that Mev got away and never was headed. And the big guns in the race, and that being Dennis Cometo, the Chicago Forest record holder, now the world record holder, and Lelisa DeCisi, who was the defending champion last year, Wilson Chibet, a three-time Amsterdam champion. Those were the big guns in the race. And they all, I mean, Cometo dropped out, DeCisi dropped out, and Chibet made a late, a late run at it, but came up 11 seconds short. Because of the way that race played out, I think it's going to have an enormous effect on the way this race tactically is run. I can't see anyone letting anyone get away any room whatsoever. If they go slow, they go slow. If they go fast, they go fast. But I think we're going to see a bunch together the entire way till the real fireworks separate. Yeah, that's what, uh, that's what Chabet said. I, I told him uh, at the press conference, and he was basically saying, you know, that is a lesson the entire field lost yet. So anyone who was in that race, him, Franklin, Chakwani, they're going to know not to let anyone go. And I think, you know, as we spoke about yesterday, there's, there's no one, maybe will lose to CISA, but after that, there's no one who's in massive favorite, so people aren't going to be afraid to, uh, you know, counter a move, even if it might be a little faster than they were anticipating. Yeah, I I, I made a point of, of talking to, to a lot of the top Africans, and specifically on the men's side, you know, I, I asked them, what about last year? I mean, when I talked to Alicia, he was one of the guys I really wanted to talk to. I mean, as Johnson said, we've anointed him as our favorite, and I just wanted to know how his training's been going. He's got no prep races, and you know, I, he said he's in good shape. Um, you know, he ran Dubai in, in January, February. Um, he said, you know, he got second there. He acted like that today. When I was talking to him, he acted like that wasn't good. So, you know, he said the problem in Dubai was he tried to run too fast. Like, you know, we were going for the world record early, and I didn't have the training for that. So he thought he would be better um, on Monday than he was in Dubai, which is a little bit scary because he's second in Dubai. Um, but when I asked him about Med last year, you know, because one of the things, he said, he said, I prefer a fast pace. I said, well, Matt gave you a somewhat fast pace. And he didn't go real fast. You know, I mean, he was on like, what, 64 and a half? Right. But they didn't even go with that. So I'm like, okay, if you guys like fast pace, why did you let him gap here? But they were, the Kenyans and Ethiopians, it was clear, they were focused on each other. They, he just said, you know, we had no expectation that he would continue that. And he said it was our assumption, but a wrong assumption. You know, wrong indeed that, um, you know, and I'm sure that's thankful for that. Well, there's an arrogance. There's an arrogance for the East Africans, very humble people generally, but in racing, if you're not one of them, they don't hold you in high regard. Even though Bev is born East African, they looked at him as an American who finished 23rd at the New York City Marathon in the November before that, and just 39 or 38 years old late, they had no regard for him whatsoever, even though he wasn't doing anything spectacular. He ran a basically exactly even split race. So it was there for the taking. And that's where Chibet, he almost laughed, Wilson Chibet kind of laughs about it. Now, he has not, he told me, changed his training whatsoever. For those of you who don't know, Wilson Chibet is the leader of the largest, uh, most illustrious training group in all of Kenya. He lives in Eldoret, not E10. And when they get together, there's 100 to 140 guys strong, and that includes some just absolute stealing killers. And so when they go out and make up their training. He's that guy that's heading up that training. He says, I haven't changed anything. It's just a matter of putting the race together that my that my break that my training indicated I had in me last year. I just didn't do it. This year, I didn't do it. Now the other guy that we want to talk about a little bit is a Patrick McCow. We didn't talk about him on yesterday's show whatsoever, the former world record holder from 
son, Kenya, and he trains out of Gong, which is like a suburb of uh, Nairobi. And so he's a little bit separate. He's not a member of the Kalenjin tribe or the Kikuyu or the Kisi. He's a Kamba. The Kamba is a, a tribe that's uh, uh, different. About 40, 42 tribes, I believe, in Kenya. There's about five of them produced about the best runners, mostly the Kalenjin. But the Kamba has produced a Benson Masha, three-time Honolulu Marathon champion, one of the great road racers in history. Hospice and Debbie is also a three-time Boston Marathon champion in the 1990s, and he's a Kamba. And Jimmy Mulindi, who is like an eight-time Honolulu Marathon champion, is also a member of that Kamba tribe. And so that is what Patrick McCow is. And McCow is a little bit more taciturn. He doesn't have that robust, outgoing personality. Now, his conversation that I had him with, with him today, uh, he admitted straight up, I probably am not the man I was in 2011 when I ran that 203.38, but I'm close. And his last race was the Fukuoka Marathon in December where he ran 208. He did talking to his manager, St. Branson, in Honolulu last weekend at the Hapalua Half Marathon. I was uh, told by Zane that essentially that 208 was very much a sort of just a, a win, winning effort. He wasn't trying to see how fast he could run. He probably had another couple of minutes in him. He's known as a very savvy racer, and yet at the same time, he can't remember, he said, the last time he ran a marathon without pace. So maybe he's never even done that. But you've got to remember, in 2010 and 2011, in Amsterdam and Rotterdam and Berlin, he was beating Joffrey Mutai by a couple of seconds. He had his number all through those glory years. Now, the question is, is there too much wear and tear on the body? That back injury, knee injury, he's back. We'll see on Monday what he's got left, but known as a very savvy runner. Uh, Jonathan, you have a chance to talk to him at all? I did actually, and he said the same thing to me that he, he did to you. That uh, you know he's not in two or three thirty-eight shape. He's not in world record shape from when he broke it four years ago. But that he does feel his training's going well. He was, he was clearly very frustrated about the injury injuries he'd been dealing with in 2013 and 2014. He said it was you know it was very difficult not to get out there and be doing workouts and getting better. But you know he's happy with where he is right now, and he thinks. Yeah, I, I think that even though this is his first Boston and he hasn't had a lot of experience in unpaced races, I, I think he's kind of ready for the challenge. He said that uh, the area in which he trains is sort of up and down. It mimics the Boston course, so he feels like he's ready for that. And, you know, he's been studying the course. He kind of wants to know where to move. I think that the key word that I, I noticed when speaking with Patrick was patience. He said right, patience, he exactly. wants to run a patient race, and uh, I think, that's a good approach if it's your first time running this one. Yeah, and he's only 30 years old, so he's still got, you know, probably some years left in the tank. I mean, heck, if he's like mad, he's got eight or nine years left. Um, yeah, and, and, and patience, it's interesting. You know, I, I think that's sort of an overlooked virtue. You know, I mean, you know, Med got that big lead, but one thing that cost Wilson Chabat was that 432 24th mile last year. I mean, it's just kind of crazy. I mean, he tried to. You're like, oh my gosh, he's so far ahead, I gotta catch up. But you can't do it all at once. You know, I, it looked for sure like Matt was gonna get caught. And sort of, it's kind of reminded me, the end of that race reminded me of, of an 800. Sort of everyone started slowing down at the end, and Matt just held on. You know, it's good to be in the lead at that point. Right, and he kept telling himself, form, form. Matt is the meticulous in his drills and his pre run drills, post race drills, post run drills, ice baths, all those sort of things, the ancillary stuff that so many people just poo poo or don't even do. Mev is so good at them that that's what basically held him in his good form all the way at that last couple of kilometers. When he was falling apart, he was starting to retch. He was starting to, you know, having real stomach issues. 
but he concentrated on his drills and his form, and that's what kept his stride long enough to maintain that lead and hold off Wilson Quebec. Now, a couple of guys in this race who really are coming in under the radar are a couple of Ethiopians by Yemene Sege, or maybe best known Yemene Adane, what I've known him for, and Tedese Tola. Those are a couple of guys who are coming into the Boston Marathon with very little experience. But look at Yemene Adane. is a 204-48 guy for Rotterdam in 2012, and uh, he won that race. And he's been training on the ups and downs his first time here. Last race was the fifth at the Honolulu Marathon, but that was raining and uh, also he had a hamstring problem. Now, he's had that hamstring problem before, but he says it's gone now. But this guy has run 204, kind of a killer, but we don't really hear that much about it. Yeah, he won two marathons last year as well. Uh, he won Daegu and... Um, Ottawa, was it? And Ottawa, yeah, that's correct. And, you know, I I think winning marathons, is, you know, he, he was fit at Honolulu, but he said, you know, he wasn't fully healthy for that one. And that, that's a tough course, too, so it might beat him up a little bit. But, it's, you know, it, as he said, he's uh, back healthy. He's a guy, you know, you run 204, you're going to be competitive in pretty much any marathon in the world. And, uh, you know, this one, he's one of the faster guys in the field. So I think, you know, those two wins, maybe coming off a tough race, but uh, two two wins last year that, you know, you've got to account for. He's also won in Donghe back in 2009 in, in Seoul, He's also won in Eindhoven in the Netherlands back in 2013. So that's one, two, three, four. That's five marathon wins in his career. And winning begets winning. You have to know how to win, especially at a major. It's one thing to run fast trying to catch somebody. It's another thing altogether to take that step into oblivion and know that there's nothing but open road in front of you. And some people can handle that very well. Other people can't. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, I definitely think that, um, you know, some people are just winning all the time. And some people like Emmanuel Mutai sort of always finishing second. So. Um, you know, I mean, to Mutai's credit, he's always in such a big race that, it, that it's tough. But speaking of Mutai and the Netherlands, um, I talked to Bernard Kipiego in his day, the 28-year-old uh, who won Amsterdam last year, and he, you know, came in his tune-up race. He only ran 64-17 in the Netherlands, um, which was sixth place in January. But the winning time in that race is only 63 flat. So, you know, he's only a minute off the lead. You don't necessarily need to be in tip-top half marathon, you know, to do well in a marathon, and I asked him about that race, and he just said it was really windy. It's so windy, is what he said. Um, but you know, when I asked him about his fitness, um, he said, "I think I'm prepared to win Boston." So, and he trains with Emmanuel Mutai. He trains with Elliot Kipchoge. He's in that top group um, in Kenya, and those guys are obviously both going to London next week. I tried to get him to tip his hat on, you know, who's in the best shape of all of them. Uh, he, he did a good job of avoiding that. He said. Yeah, but he also made a good point. He said to measure who's in shape in training is not easy, um, you know, because you don't know how hard. Is somebody racing a workout? Is somebody, you know, actually running it the right way? But, um, you know, he, 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 he's another guy that we can't overlook. Well, you know, if you take a look at the progression of his marathon, in 2010 he was in Rotterdam 207-01. In 2011 in Chicago, 2629-2012 Chicago, 2640. 2013 Beijing, 2719. 2014, 206-22 Amsterdam. So that's 2726, 2726. I think we got him pegged. I mean, did you run enough marathons over that long enough period of time? I don't think he's going to be a 204 guy. He was the guy, remember, that beat Ritz by one second at Birmingham in 2000 in his career and all the races they run against one another. So Dathan ought to latch on to Bernard Diego and try to beat him and see where that takes. Yeah, well, 
it's going to be tough. You know, 206 or 207, that's usually a winning time on Boston. You'll win the race by a minute or two. But, you know, I'm not saying he's going to summon that kind of performance on Monday. But if he can run the equivalent of, you know, 206 or 207 effort on a flat course, I think he will be in contention because um, just, you know, he, he's consistent. And if he can sort of, you know, take that to the next level, he, he's going to need to reach a level he hasn't, he hasn't reached before. So that is one thing to keep in mind. But, you know, he's consistent, and if the race breaks the right way, like we saw with Meg last year, anything's possible. You're listening to Runner's Digest here at Tracksmith Athletic Club, 285 Newbury Street, Boston's Max Bay, at 6 o'clock tonight. That's Friday the 17th of April. Tracksmith launches its new women's clothing line. So if you're in Boston, we uh, more than suggest you come down to 285 Newbury Street on the corner of Gloucester in the Back Bay. And there's also, as I turn around, some fine uh, Laganitas, Indian Pale Ale, and other beers from 5 to 10 tonight that are given out for free. Free beer launching a track line. Who can ask for more? I think I need one of those now. It's uh, it's afternoon. Rich ready to roll. Uh, well, I'll talk about the women a little bit. I had a chance to talk to Desi Linden. Of course, Desi famously uh, second in this race in 2011. And from my conversation with her, my goodness me, she is says, finally, finally, she might be in the best shape she's been since that race in 2011. Of course, she had that stress fracture of her finger back in 2012 before the Olympic Games after making the team at Houston. It basically, you know, didn't expect to do anything and didn't. She ran 228, 223.50s last year to get 10th place here, but she had a tightness in her hip that took up some of her training, and she feels that she's fully healthy. No injuries whatsoever, just ready to roll. She had one tuna race at the New York half, and that was a 112.30. And that was the one day she said she was a little bit flat this entire cycle. But she's actually excited about the prospects. The only thing she said is she's hoping that it's not a perfect day because she doesn't think she's got 220 in her arsenal. And there's obviously women in this field who do have such talent. She says anything that takes it away from perfect is good for me. I'm going to make it a street fight, not a speed race. Yeah, it was good. I only talked to her briefly because Brooks is going to have a press event tomorrow where I'm going to spend more time with her. But it was good, and I, I did want, after that 72 and a half, I was a little bit worried about that. And I said, Desi, she said, well, that was just an awful day. Um, but before that, she actually joked. She's like, I'm in terrible shape. I'm 10 pounds overweight, and I haven't run in two weeks. But then she started laughing. But, um, yeah, she said the training's gone well, and she just said, you know, she'd only run 530 to 5.33 that day. But, you know, she said, told me she's really been working on those first 20 miles. She always has one of the best closures of anyone in the field. And she said she's been getting comfortable running 525 in practice versus running 530. So that's pretty encouraging because, you know, there's no one tougher than her. I mean, she's certainly far exceeded expectations based on what she did in college. Um, or even high school, yeah. She was not, she was not a highly recruited uh, high school runner. She was, what, fourth or fifth uh, person on the team with uh, Amy Hastings, now Craig. And she basically blossomed when she went to uh, Hanson's. Yeah. A distance project up there in Michigan, and they really slowly developed her. And one of the things they did in 2010, you remember, she was like in the top 10 of the 3,000 indoors at the Indoor World Championships for 3,000 meters. Well, she says one of the reasons she hopes it's not a perfect day where they run 220 is she says, I haven't been on the track in a long, long period of time, and I don't have any of that sort of uh, the sharpness. But they built her up going through the track process as well. They did a beautiful job of developing that talent, which was late throughout her high school and college career. Yeah, I think. In some ways, she still sort of flies under the radar, even though, you know, she came within about, what was it, two seconds of winning this race four years ago. Um, You know, when you go through the top U.S. marathon, there's there's Shalane and, you know, I think for a while, Cara Goucher, and you'd sort of 
think of those two because they're out there. They're you know Nike athletes, so or Tara was at least in the past. So their market is a little bit more. Desi wasn't always getting that attention, but she, you know she deserves to be mentioned right up there with them. She was an Olympian on that 2012 team with them, and uh, you know she was fifth fifth in New York last year. The conditions weren't great in that race; it was very windy. So you know she's she's shown time and again she's consistent. She knows how to run a smart, patient race, and uh, you know she a win is not inconceivable for her. Uh, this weekend, but I think you know top five is definitely uh, right right in the ballpark for it. Also, talking to uh, Amy Craig, she was saying I was uh, doing a run in Providence in March, and I was thinking, and all of a sudden she said, "Oh my gosh, my heel doesn't hurt." God, when was the last time that that happened? And the thing is, she's been sort of hit by injuries for the last several years. I mean, nothing major, did not out completely, but just enough to just compromise your top end where you can't register your top performances. And it's all these little niggles year after year, whether it's, uh, she said it was something in her heel, it was something in her, in her pelvis, something, you know, here, there, the other thing. She finally says, first time in six or seven years, I've got nothing. And my body feels healthy. She won the Jacksonville 15K, the, uh, the, the U.S. championships over 15K in March. Uh, pulled away at four and a half miles. It's a little bit easier than I thought, actually. It's a huge confidence for her, but it's a little bit more of a fight. But the point is, She's not trying to also think outside the box at any point, Jonathan. She's not thinking, I can win this race. She's looking at the 227.03 person right now, which she ran in Chicago and in Los Angeles, the exact same PR in two different races, which is really hard to do. And she says, I just want to improve. She's on a long cycle. So because in Chicago, let's step up into competition. Let's improve here in Boston. Let's make the team in the Olympics and then try to run internationally at the Olympic Games. So it's a long-range plan, and so far, so good. Yeah, I think, I think that's the right approach, too, because, uh, you know, heading into Chicago last year where she was fourth, she hadn't really had a lot of success in her previous marathons uh, since her debut in Los Angeles. And, you know, that was, a, that was a confidence booster, and now you've got Boston. She could really go out there, see what she's capable of, see how she steps, steps up and handles it against the top two women right now on the U.S. marathon scene, Shalane and Desi. And uh, you know, she's she's also in a good place. She has a nice little training group down there in Providence with uh, Ray Tracy. Her and Molly Huddle have done a lot of workouts together. And uh, Molly's obviously one of the top American runners in any distance right now. So you know, Amy, Amy's definitely in a in a good place. Yeah, I think that that race was big for her because it gave her hope. You know, she'd been she had a DNF in Japan and then a 2:42 in New York. I mean, I, you know, at that point you're like, wow, maybe I'm not made up for the marathon. But now you know she's upbeat and. and excited to go. Um, you know, I, I talked to one person who may be the, the top American, but nobody will talk about her being the top American. You know, you, you talked about the, the press conference showing how it's impossible to talk to everybody because there's just all the Americans are surrounded by people. And then the Kenyans, even the top Kenyans, the Ethiopians, no one's talking to them. So I can try to go to someone who no one's talking to. And the person that I talked to was Lisa Stubert, the former Columbia runner, mm-hmm. born and raised in America, still an American citizen, but she does compete internationally for Croatia. So it would be interesting. You know, she's a 225 marathon, so she's not likely to win. But if she did, I would still consider that an American, you know, right. an American victory. Um, but I, I had a, you know, she's developed so much from, from her days in Columbia. And I, and I asked her, I said, do you regret? You know, she's two minutes faster than Hastings, who's a very good shot at the Olympic team. I'm like, you regret sort of running for Croatia? And she's like, no, not at all. When I went to Croatia, I wasn't, you know, a very good runner. She's like, they developed me. Um, but it is pretty fascinating how, you know, if you've got that USA on, on the vest, everybody pays attention to you. And if you don't, even if you are an American, which is weird for her, 
you know, she doesn't get the publicity that, that these other people do. Well, exactly, exactly. I mean, she's got a name that sounds Croatian, which is not surprising. That so people overlook her, uh, you know, quite a lot. I mean, that's interesting. You got, I think the Americans, well, and including uh, Lisa, I think will support one another very much. They're they're used to seeing one another in this pack. Again, you you've got Mari Dababa, who's the two nineteen runner, but that was in Xiamen, China this year, and you know it's only eighty seven days or eighty days since that race, and so. Uh, that's, you know, I don't care what people say, that's still a marathon that yep. other, other people did not do. Buzu Diba is a 2 out of Boston last year. She's been training in Albuquerque. Usually last month, last year, it was for four months. This year, talking to Warku, her husband, they've been there nine months. Yeah, I, I, I talked to, 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 to all those people. Um, you know, I wanted to see if, if uh, Mary DeBaba had recovered from that January marathon in China. She said that she has. She says, I'm in good shape. So one thing to note about all these Africans saying they're in good shape, um, I probably should have led the show with this. We're actually going to lead our, when we put up, we're going to you know, have a written piece up and let's run soon. Um, but Jonathan and I were talking to Gabrielle Nicola, the Italian coach, and I, I told him that uh, one of his athletes had contradicted something. He told me, he said, well, you need to understand something, Robert. He's like, in Kenya and Ethiopian society, someone is never going to reveal their, their weakness. So he said it's a cultural thing. So these runners, according to Gabrielle, are, are always going to talk upbeat. So, you know, Mary DeBobby says, oh, the training's going well. Um, you know, and he, he said, well, of course she's going to say that. So to a little extent, you know, there's a, a, a little bit of a show going on in some of these press conferences. But, um, you know, I think Deborah really deserves a lot of our time. You know, when people talk about doping, I don't think that the damage they do to the sport it's just you can't really overcome it. Think about without Justin cheating last year, how would you be talking about Deborah right now? She'd be the defending champion. She'd be the first woman in sub to 20 in Boston history. She would be a new star. Right. She lives in Brooklyn. Right. You know, it's, it's and it's great girl easy to talk to her husband's a guy. But what it would have been contractually, what it would have meant to her from appearance fees, uh, shoe and apparel contracts. Uh, again, they did bring her out as the, you know, the top, Here's your bib along with Matt as the defending champion, but it wasn't announced as the defending champion. Yeah, this is very similar. <clears throat> this goes back to 1980 and Rosie Ruiz beating, uh, you know, and, and stealing the thunder from Jackie Garo from Canada. Jackie, I was coming to that race back, back in 1980 for PBS television, and we knew all along I was between the race with Gail Barron, who was the 78 women's champion from Atlanta, and Gail and I knew all along that there was Jackie Garo and she was with the race. And all of a sudden, here comes this woman down the finish line, and Charlie Rogers, Bill Rogers' older brother, said the best line about Rosie Ruiz. Well, she it was a warm, by the way, in 1980. And she, and she says she was running with her. She was running with the thighs of Irma Bombeck. For those of you who don't know, Irma Bombeck was like a very famous uh, columnist, uh, American columnist, who was a rather matronly large woman. And when she just, when Rosie Ruiz was coming down ring road to the finish. Wearing Irma Bombeck's thighs, it said it perfectly. Because this, this was like a flabby, wearing a Gillette top, which is very heavy on a warm day. She only had one sweat spot in the middle of her chest, which is the first place she starts sweating. It was obvious to anyone who knew anything about running that this woman had not run the Boston Marathon. It was obvious. But they knee-jerked the metal and the wreath on her head. And now that they've done that, then they just couldn't take it off because now they're, they were afraid of a lawsuit. So it took them one week. But what happened is that Jackie Garreau, who was the winner of the Boston Marathon, Never got her due on that day. Yeah, she got more due than Deborah did last year. But uh, the interesting 
talked to worker who you know who um her coach and husband is he said that they changed a lot, basically everything in her training. And I was like, Well, she's been second in two majors, second in New York, obviously. I said, why would you do that? And they're like, Because we want to win. So and that's one of the things I mean Shailene was so devastated about not winning. But when you're trying to beat people that are cheating, you know, it, it makes it also messes up people's training because they, they try to get they get desperate. Well, what would you mean by that? By changing their training? I mean, quality, quantity. Well, he said nice that, thing the extra time in New Mexico. So. Well, obviously, you know, you spend three months of the year, basically just January, February, March, the bad weather when it's New York in altitude. Now it's opposite. It's been nine months of the year at altitude. But he said we're doing more in terms of both long runs and more speed work. He said that, uh, that, that the thing is they really incorporated the last two years is a 50K long run. So that's, what, 30, 31 miles? Wow, yeah. Um, he was scared to do it at altitude last year. But they did it uh, before New York, right, when she got runner-up the first time. So last year they cut it down to 35K. This year they did the full 40K. Um, she ran between 601 and 603 pace. Uh, so pretty impressive at altitude. 50K. Yeah. Wow. So she's got the over distance. She's not going to be fearful of, that, of, of, of the 26.2. Well, in the same sense that Ch- Chilean, I mean, we're talking about somebody who's looking to close better with that strength. Well, that's what Chilean's done. She, I mean, she's done it with speed, though. She's, she's decided to cut back from 12 weeks to nine and a half weeks of training. She's not talking about, I've got to win, 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 win. Her goal is podium. So it's a little more reserved and conservative in that sense. And the same thing is I'm working on the back end, not the front end. Because you can only, in the first 15K of a marathon, you can't win. Well, Matt did, I guess. I guess you can. You can win on the first 15K because Matt did it. But you can't win on the first mile, and that's, I think, what Shalane tried to do. So she wants to try to reverse things by running really fast in the last miles. And so that 3109 that she ran on the track at Stanford's got to make her pleased with that effort. And the question is, will it work on Monday? Yeah, well, I think the women's race, the, the emphasis should be on the end of the race because if you, if you throw out the uh, jet to be is, this is a race that's been incredibly close um, recently. You know, I think it was four years in a row it was decided by about six seconds off you. And so it really matters how you're feeling, you know, not just at 20 miles, but at, at 24, 25, and then, you know, even in mile, you know, 27, you don't even get to finish that one, but the last, you know, 0.2 of the race. In the women's side, you need to be feeling good and ready to, you know, kick right, right at the end. It's kind of interesting how, you know, Deba and Flanagan both reacted to last year's disappointment um you know Flanagan backed off and I think that's smart and you know where Deva decided to do more and you know Worku seemed to think that was a good plan but she only was was ninth in New York in the fall um what, he, what did she attribute that to well he said it was the fact that she got really sick in September so sick that she had to go to the hospital so basically she her training was jeopardized for an entire month um but coming into this she ran, um, I think she was way back, 17th, Jonathan, right in the year city half? Or? Yeah, I, I thought she uh, actually dropped out. Oh, yeah, that's right. She dropped out. I knew it was bad. And, you know, I asked him about that. He totally dismissed that, too. He said, no, the train's been going well. He thought she had a back issue. Well, uh, women's issues. The back yeah. issue, cramping. She had a women's issue. It wasn't a running issue. It was like the thing women have to deal with that we don't have to deal with. Thank God. But that's what it was. So it wasn't running or just that they dismissed that as just something that, that happens. And the fact that she's still having her period is another good sign. So, I mean, yeah. a healthy woman, it just happened to be the wrong time for the half marathon, so she didn't take any more than that. And that's what that happened. But, you know, it's kind of interesting because it's like if I'm her coach and I, I – although I guess they find out that uh, Jeff Sue was a doper kind of late in the game, probably last fall when you're already training for a fall marathon. But if you could go back and change time, if I'm them, I think, okay, I ran 219 in Boston. No one's run that. I'm not changing a thing. 
let's go do that again next year. I'm going to be right. world famous. So, um, it's weird. I, I think Flanagan, well, we'll see how it plays out certainly on Monday. If, if anything, I think going last is probably smarter, particularly the older you get. You know, one thing about training is it's cumulative. You have that the years behind you. So um, I thought Jonathan did a really good job in, in the women's preview that he wrote for Let's Point. You know, Flanagan has to be talking about track speed. She's the only girl that's probably in this race that's been on a track hub in the last five years. And it seems like last year's strategy of pushing the pace. And that marathon was the slowest one in New York. You know, why not let it go slow and just let it come down to the last thing? Well, the interesting, Khalid Ganucci used to have a great line. He said, you know, because he was known as one of the great closers in history especially that last 5K, scared the bejesus out of the East Africans with that clothes that he had because he used to do those hard training runs at 20 miles and then go into a track workout, get himself fatigued and like in race conditions, then work on his speed. But he used to say, for me, for the, my skill set, which is a, a good fast closer, I want to make this a long run but a short race. Someone like Ryan Hall wants it to be a long race and a short run. Because his thing is not speed and changing gears. It's that punishing, hard pace as far as he can possibly do it, which is what Shalane tried to do last year. So someone like Shalane, who has the skill set of being a 3109, I mean, this, this, the year, and a 3022 PR American record order at 10K, you would think she'd want to make it a long run in the short race, take it into her bailiwick. But then again, her MO from her high school days at Marble High, Marblehead High School was always to go kill her out hard, and that's just, that's just who she is. Psychologically. Yeah, it's, it's tough to make that transition because on the track, I think sometimes you do have to be kind of a grinder. If you're a if you're a woman who gravitates towards, you know, maybe the longer events, she was a bronze medalist in the 10,000, and she ran her PR in that race to do it. If if you're that kind of woman, you sort of see yourself as, okay, I'm a woman. I don't really have, you know, that 403 closing speed, but I can really grind out laps for a long time. And when you get to the marathon, you're not that woman anymore. You're not the um, one who grinds out 26 miles, you might be actually on the speedier end of things. And so, you know, Shalane has proved that she can grind out stuff. You know, she grinded out uh, a big PR by three and a half minutes last year in Boston, and then she went for it in Berlin and PR'd again. So she's can certainly do that. But, it, you know, you sort of have to reconcile these things in your mind about what you are on the track and what you are as a marathon, and sometimes they're two very different things. You're listening to Runner's Digest here at Track Smith Athletic Club. I'm Tony Rabbits along with uh, Jonathan Galt and Let's Run.com co-founder Robert Johnson. I think uh, Brother Weldon is coming in later this week if he ever can un- unseat himself from uh, from his home base. But we're at uh, this Track Smith Athletic Club down here in the back bay, which is 6 o'clock tonight on Friday the 17th. We'll introduce and launch a brand new women's line, and we congratulate them on that. And we're here all weekend long discussing this, that, and the other thing about the Boston Marathon's 119th running coming up on Monday morning. But before that also, we also tomorrow, we have the BAA 5K. We have the Invitational Mile and the High School Miles as well. Those are exciting. One more guy I think I want to talk a little bit about is someone talk about under the radar, an Olympic medalist, a five-time world champion, uh, the world record holder at the half marathon, Zerzane Tedese out of uh, Asmara, Eritrea. And nobody's talking about the guy. Because in the four marathons he's run, he hadn't done a darn thing. And here's a guy that's uh, 210-41 at his best, and yet he's run 58-23 and 58-31 for the half marathon, the two fastest marathons ever run. And it's just it's just incongruous why a guy with all that talent, who's a little guy, too, perfectly suited, you would think this would be the guy in the marathon. What the hell is wrong with the Z-Man? 
Well, uh, I talked to Zerk today, today. I talked to his manager as well. And he, you know, I asked him that. And, he, you know, his manager was like, yes, we've, we've gotten this question before. And you can imagine. Why not? But uh, he was basically, her explanation was that the first two attempts at the marathon were both in London. And she said uh, he didn't get his own special drink, which I'm guessing, you know, he had some problems either getting his bottle or, you know, had, was only taking water at the fueling station. So, so that's. That's what they blame the first couple on. The next one, she said that he uh, had gotten he gotten sick. He had had a fever the week before, and that he made it to the race. He wasn't fully recovered from that. And then the most recent one, I believe, Chicago, uh, a few years ago, she said that he had stomach cramps and stomach issues from uh, probably something he ate the night before they suspected, and that's what led to him uh, dropping out of that race. And so, you know, if you, you look at that, you say maybe he's snake bitten, or you say maybe he doesn't know how to prepare for the marathon quite as well as he should have. But at this time around, uh, he's been training at Mara, which is at 7,600 feet, so he feels good about how the training's going. He's up his mileage from what he's doing was doing in the past. And a, a lot. I mean, he went from 200k a week to 250 to 300. Now 300 is 180. Yeah, that's uh, 180 miles a week. That's that's some serious. Couple months for me nowadays. Yeah, that's well, that's a lifetime for me, but that's that's got to scrub some speed off. But again, how much speed do you really need? I mean, in talking to Coach Bob Larson, Mets coach, he was saying, really, how much you don't? How much speed you need in a marathon? You really don't have to work on the speed that much. And a guy like this, with this sort of a the foundation he's got after all these years, and the fact that he knows he can run faster than anyone in the world at half marathons, I think it's a matter of time. It could be, and the fact that there's no pacers and this is a cross country light course. I think that will fits him rather well. Yeah, he he said that himself. He said he's you know he's a former world cross country champion. He's got won four medals at those championships. So he thinks that this is a course that suits him and that skill set. And the other thing that he said that's in line with him upping his mileage is that you know he realizes the marathon is not the half marathon, and he he's admitted it's hard. It's not as easy to train for it as it was for the half marathon. It requires doing different things. But he's committed to doing this event. He wants to run. The marathon of the 2016 Olympics, so we'll get a chance, Boston, to see if these changes will pay off. Yeah, and that's you know one thing I've always been obsessed with. I always thought the cross country runners should run Boston, New York. You know, it's more like a cross country race than a time trial. And so that's one thing you know for Rich to be encouraged. Um, you know, I mean, I really want to to do well. I mean, I don't know what he made his debut. I I got up at whatever three in the morning to watch that London race, and I, I keep rooting for him, but it's. You know, I almost forgot about him, but John got to talk to him today, and John told me, he's like, oh, they kind of had excuses for everything. And I was like, you know, I want to believe it, but, you know, what's that old thing? You know, fool me once, shame on me, shame me twice, shame on you. I'm ready to be fooled again, to be honest, because I just see this guy, with everything he's done on this bronze medal at the 10,000 meters of the Olympic Games, all those half marathons, all Africa Games gold medal. I mean, he's just done everything but put it together at the marathon level. And, again, his body size, his body type, his stride, everything about him seems to be perfectly indicated for him to be a, just a killer. Well, maybe they need to eat. As Jack, as Jack Fleming, the, uh, the, the head PR guy here at the Boston Marathon for so many years, was telling his staff, and you should tell this to Zerzane too, no fish on marathon week. No fish. Don't take any chances. But, uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. I talked to another big talent on the women's side whose name we haven't mentioned, and I don't like these triple names. I and mean, nobody calls me Robert Clay Johnson on the radio, but uh, Shara Demisi Ware, do we want to go? Well, Ware is her grandfather's name. I may say it's her last name. 
So, Jamise, um, you know, 19-year-old, and she's 20-59 um, in Dubai in her first marathon. And I, I talked to Gabriella Nicola, her coach. And her debut, kid. That's her debut, which is 80 days ago. She's running another 19, one. So, like, 19. She's Ethiopian, Ethiopian at 19. Bulletproof. So, her coach, uh, in an understatement of the week, said uh, her talent is very big. So, she did confirm that. But he, he sort of wanted to back off a little bit. It was interesting. He basically said, well, she ran 221. You know, yeah. where it goes to people, right? People on 220.99, 220. But he's like, oh, she ran 221 because he's only second off. And he's like, in Dubai. So he's like, that's a 222.30, on a normal course. So he was backing off that. So he did say she's very talented. Well, he said, Dubai is Dubai. Yeah. So he, he started out, you know, that was uh, better than what they expected, even though she is a big talent. But the interesting thing, and we talked about restraint earlier a little bit, he said her biggest talent is self-control. And he's not there all the time on site in Ethiopia because he's going back and forth between Kenya and Ethiopia. And he says he'll call the guys on the ground for him and say, you know, how did the workout go? And they'll be like, she did five kilometers less than she should have. They call back the next day and they're like, she did three kilometers less than she should have. And I think it's an important lesson for everybody to learn. He's, he's viewing this as a huge positive. Uh, he says that she, ne- he ne- she never exhausts her body. She never pushes it past the point that it should be pushed. So she realizes enough is enough. So today, you know, she said one day, she told him, today my body is not able to do more. So he thinks that that's, you know, really, she's building herself up. I was doing training. You've got to build yourself up, not tear yourself down. And she's apparently really good at that at a really young age. Well, she said it took the recovery, Nicola, uh, Gabriella Nicola, the coach, that took a little bit longer uh, out of Dubai. And that's not really a problem, though, because at age 19, she's saying, even if she doesn't have a great race at Boston, It'll give her a Boston experience that she can then draw on when she does come to town with the total focus on just the Boston Marathon. So at 19, she, I mean, she can't lose. Oh, right. it's, it's a freebie. I mean, I don't think anyone expects the first time runner to win Boston at 19. It's, it's a full learning experience. Yeah, and I, I think that, um, you know, he was kind of complaining a little bit about how she didn't have the full preparation. And then I remember it was you telling her another journalist, someone asked, well, then why are you here? And he had a great line. Yeah, you know, he said, he said uh, to Africa, you know, He's like, their life is today, tomorrow is a drink. So they live very much in the present. If you're in shape and you're feeling good, you're going to race. But that's how they race in the race, too. There is no two kilometers ahead. I feel good now. I go now. I mean, they don't over-intellectualize the process. We talk ourselves, I think, out of performance every bit as much as they talk themselves into performance. Life is self-fulfilling prophecy, and they believe the positive side. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's for sure. I mean, when I, when I, uh, you know, was rabbiting Captain and Drunkard about World Record for, for part of it before she dropped me pretty badly, you know, it was basically a 220 marathon, so that's 520s. And if, if an American was running that race, they would go out and fly to 520. And she just went out in 545, 550s the first five days. The first 10 miles was slower than they wanted. I was doing the lead vehicle. I was watching you guys the whole way. And she finally, when she finally got on it, I mean, uh, I think uh, – uh, Alema was in that race, and Lorna Kiplagat was the big also co-favorite. Remember, it was a cold day, and she was wearing a long-sleeve uh, T-shirt underneath her singlet, and finally the pace got so hot, she was struggling to try to take her T-shirt off, but it was underneath her singlet, and it was kind of a struggle to do, but by that time, Catherine just dropped her. She ran that from 10 to 10 on. She just destroyed that field. ran one of the few real impressive sub-219s, certainly, that I've ever seen on that glorious day in Chicago in 2001, very shortly after 9-11. That was one of the first big sporting events, certainly in our sport, that came after 9-11. So there was a lot of emotion attached to that race as well. It must have been spectacular to run with her that whole way. 
Uh, I wouldn't say I made it the whole way. Uh, I remember around, around 15 or 16, I guess uh, Joni must have been in that in that elite women's vehicle because, so like, in the male pacer looks tired. He's, he's, he's struggling here. So I've never seen the DVD. I guess the DVD probably didn't exist. I mean, probably still VHS back then. But, uh, yeah, I made it about 16 miles, and we got to the finish, and she's, I was supposed to go 18. Well, they said 12, 15, or 18. So it, it, they kind of said do whatever you want. But uh, when I got to the finish, Catherine's like, uh, Robert, where were you? And I said, well, uh, I might have just run 218. Yeah. So that's where I was. back to the point about how they were listening to the body. Because I had raced her in a half marathon about three weeks before in Philadelphia and beaten her by like a minute and a half. So, you know, if they're not falling off the start, they're not going to push it. And if they are falling off the start, they might push it too much. Well, that's what happened with Catherine to Robert the 2008 Asian Olympics. She had a, She did not feel good at the start. Took her about 5K to catch up the lead pack, having no idea at the time that Constantina Dita had taken off. So she got the lead pack. She made the assumption this was the whole field. Only when at, at 40K, when that last turnaround that you had to make when you came back for that last K before you entered the stadium, all of a sudden she saw Dita on the other side of the street and said, I thought I was winning the gold medal. That's the first time I knew somebody was in front of me. And I said, well, you got to know what you're doing, sister, and she didn't do that. One of the things that one of the people I was talking to, a little surprised by, I don't know if you guys talked to him, Vitaly Shafur from Ukraine, fourth last year in the race, in a personal best of 2-9 and change. But he said, I've come here to be number one. I said, really? And I said, and you're, and you're, and you're why the confidence? He said, well, last year they gave number 23 and I got number four. This year I'm wearing number four. I said, okay. So your logic is I was wearing number 23 and I got fourth. I got 19 players, places higher than my number. This year I got four. I mean, that's number one. It's only three players, places higher. I got no, I got no, every bit of a chance to do this. So he's going for the win. Awesome training in Kiev. Awesome training in Kiev. He doesn't live there, but I mean, he lives there because where his coach is. Uh, Igor Osmak, who was a good marathoner in his day. He's going out actually living with one of our top women, Alexandra Kuliba from Belarus. They're not engaged, they're not married, but they're kind of heading in that direction. So they might be the fastest couple in the race on Monday morning. Uh, have you been training in Kiev? I would think Kiev in uh, February would be a little bit difficult. Well, they're tough sons of guns, but he's been Kiev. And last year, uh, last year actually talking about it, he got talked into the Boston was a tough course, and he got here to think that it was that tough. He thought L.A. was a tougher course. L.A. beat his quads up more when he ran that than Boston did. So now with the experience he's got on the Boston course, he thinks he's going to win the race. Well, well probably asked Jonathan, who just got out of college most recently, if you go from fourth up 19 spots, would that be negative 15? Would that be a good thing or a bad thing? Yeah, I think that's, yeah, you're sort of getting at this point. It's easier to go from 23 to four than it is to go from four to one. Uh, there are a lot of guys, you know, Jason Hartnell was fourth in this race twice, and I don't mean to push much the legacy, that's a great achievement, but I don't think anyone was ever expecting Jason Hartnell to win the Boston Marathon. And you know, you look at a lot of guys, getting fourth on a good day, you can run, you know, you might be able to run 212, you ran 209 or something. Getting getting fourth is very different, and sometimes you're, you know, last year he wasn't that far behind Med, but sometimes fourth is way behind. Well, well he's got a 103.24 best at the half marathon from 2010 in Poland. He's run 2.953 in Toronto in 2014. Uh Waterfront, he was second in that race, so he went from fourth in Boston to second in Toronto. Maybe that's another stepping, stepping stone he thinks he's got going in his favor as well. But again, if you don't think you can do it, you got no prayer. Right. You got to you got to give yourself the opportunity of being able to do it. And, you know, speaking of fourth, one guy who could be top five would be American Fernando Cabada. 
Uh, I talked to him briefly at the end of the press conference today, and he said, you know, I'm in uncharted territory today. And no one people say that in a negative way. He said it in a positive way. Someone said, what do you mean? He said, I've never felt this good. And he was a guy that sort of, when he made his, I think he ran 211 with his debut. He did 212 years ago, right? And then he sort of went away. And he was saying the other day, he's like, you know, I'm much more mature now. He's like, people have simply forgotten about him. There used to be a lot of talk on our message board about him. And he's like, people have forgotten about me, but he's like, I think that's a good thing now. I don't pay any attention to it. And, hey, it's not over yet. And he was very aware of the fact that if he goes out and runs 208 or anything under 210, all of a sudden he's back and, and being, you know, a big player, at least on the American scene. I mean, I think, you know, in, in terms of, of winning, I don't think that that's realistic for him. But, you know, always, if you're sub-210 American, you're always going to be relevant. Absolutely. I mean, you get anyone goes sub two ten on Monday, and they've got a you know they were born here. They're American, not yeah, not to be born here, but anyone who goes sub two ten, who's an American, immediately going to be saying Olympic trials, Olympic trials, because uh, right now there's only one guy who's proven he can do it uh, or gets that level relatively consistently, and that's Mess. Uh, Ritz has done it, but he hasn't done it for a little while. Um, same with some of the other guys, and then guys like uh, Nick Asiniaga, Eggleton, and Kabata. They haven't been there yet. So, you know, I think talking to them and talking to Asiniaga, he definitely thinks he can get – he doesn't need to get 210, but he feels like he's run well in uh, marathons like Boston and New York, and uh, he just needs to make a, a bit of a breakthrough, and he'll be able to get to that uh, Olympic level. Well, for another one, two eleven thirty six in Berlin the last fall, so he's coming off a good race there. I saw him. He was fourth place at the Gasparilla Half down in Tampa in February. Several weeks later, he was uh, in New York City, ran 103.23, but uh, that was only three weeks after Gasparilla. Two weeks later, he ran the Rock and Roll Half at the Temple Run, 106. And then he ran 28.32 at the Stanford Invitational, the second fastest time he's ever run on the track, and that was for years of not being on the track. That's what all leads him to think, I'm race, I'm race sharp, I'm race fit. That 28.32, really, in the middle of marathon training, really up my confidence. Uh, you know, watch out for Fernando. Again, under the radar, no one. He's 33 years old now, yeah. so he's not that. He's still got a lot of energy. You, you can still, he's still, you know, really like a, a you know, a, yeah. packing a lot of energy. But you can imagine what he was when he was a young guy. He was kind of a loose, loose cannon. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I forgot about that 2832. That's pretty good. I remember back in well, 2000 when you know my brother was training for the trials and he was getting ready to run a, a 10,000 at Stanford, and, and I called up John Kellogg, our coach, and I said, you know what did he be able to run? And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, what would someone need to be able to run to win the Olympics? You know, this is 15 years ago. And he's like, 28 flat. And that doesn't sound that fast, but he's like, you know, in marathon training. You know, nowadays it would probably be faster, but you don't necessarily have to be in that top 10 to shape. So if he did, the, if he was doing the proper marathon training and still has that type of speed, that's pretty good. No, he's got a lot of confidence. And again, he doesn't know it's up any expectation of it. Anyway, well, we've been on the on the air plenty of time. Time to wrap it up as the uh, the folks here at TrackFit have got a full house and they're selling the, their great beer. And at 6 o'clock, they're going to launch their women's site. And then, uh, what is it? They've also got the, tomorrow, Saturday the 18th, the Meter Magazine release party goes off at 4 p.m. Those of you in the Boston area, come on down because they're open from 7 a.m. until uh, 10 o'clock every day. 7 a.m. is more when they go running along the banks of the Charles River with the staff. And then from 5 to 10, free beer. So come to the shop at 285 Newberry Street on the corner of Gloucester here at the Boston Backstage. Join us tomorrow. We'll have a full wrap-up of the day's activity as we go from the, the BAA 5K with great world-class field for Ben True, who's going to try to win a third title. And 
And we've got Molly Huddle is going to try to defend her title from last year. They have a brand-new sort of tweaked court, which is even faster than it was last year. We're 15-12 and 12 and 13-26. Took the titles. Also have the uh, the mile races, high school and invitational. Lots to talk about tomorrow on the Runner's Digest here at the Tracksmith Athletics Club. Till then, for Robert Johnson and uh, Jonathan Gold. I'm Tony Revis. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for joining us.